This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Happy Friday. Welcome to the show. I'm Chandro Tar. Sandy Clough is on my left. Danny Bailey is in the booth. It is a football Friday, maybe the most, uh, well, the most important football Friday since last week's football yeah. Friday. But uh, when we talk about the value of a win towards the playoffs, this one can't be overstated, Sandy. And uh, you had it yesterday. We, we briefly talked about it near the end of the show that you said last night, the Steelers being a six-point favorite over the Patriots on Thursday Night Football was ridiculous. Well, it turns out that not surprisingly, Sandy knows of which he speaks. And in a significant upset, I guess, for at oh, least a I would team. say so. The Patriots, who Imagine. seemed like they couldn't score at all, end up toppling the Steelers in Pittsburgh, 21-18 to 18 by three touchdowns uh, from Bailey Zappi. And even though it wasn't a highly efficient outing, uh, 22 carries from Ezekiel Elliott. For 68 yards. 68 yards, but, but, but at least keeping them honest. And um, in other words, the, the Patriots... Gave the Broncos a potential break. Now, the Broncos have to win, yeah. but if they do win, this was a significant oh, change absolutely. in the AFC playoff picture. The Broncos, when looking at the last two Steeler games, got what seemed to be unthinkable uh, going into these last two games for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were 7-4 and four at one point. Losing to the Arizona Cardinals at home. Losing to the New England Patriots. Short week. Yes, but at home, and the Patriots are dreadful. The Patriots can't score, and you gave no. up 21 points to a team that can't score. And as Ryan Clark said this morning, the former Steeler, now an excellent commentator for ESPN, when you give out 21 points to the New England Patriots, you weren't prepared. Now, how much of that is on the coach? How much of that is on the players? But fair to say the team on the for, on the for, whole. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, for debate. But. You know, very quietly, there there have been a few coaches the last few weeks and a few teams the last few weeks have kind of stepped up. But Pittsburgh's one of those teams that has stepped back. And the win helps the Broncos because it throws Pittsburgh out of the playoff field, at least for the moment. Mm -hmm. So the Broncos now have to focus on three teams who would right now be the wild card teams in the AFC. Cleveland Browns, they're one game behind, but they have the tiebreaker. Right. Big help. Indy, seven and five. That'll come down to conference record. And right a now, big that's game not looking for, for Indy Broncos, at but... Cincy. And I think. And all of a sudden, you know Cincinnati, what? you don't write them off anymore. You, 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 you sense that probably Jake Browning won't be as good. On Sunday, as he was in his outing, probably not last week in Jacksonville. But he but, may not have to be. Maybe he won't have to be. Cincinnati is uh, a team in recent years used to winning, uh, especially at home. Um, that's you know it, it, that's a tough game for Indianapolis. I think given Indy's remaining schedule, home game against Pittsburgh at Atlanta. Raiders and Houston both at home. That's that's a pretty favorable schedule. It is. So your it target is, sure. is Cleveland because you have the tiebreaker. Uh, the Broncos, with respect to Houston, are in the worst position. But vis-a-vis. Yeah, uh, right, head-to-head. The head-to-head loss. Sure. Uh, that 
Of course, you'll have to finish the only tiebreaker that matters. Barring something so weird, you have, have to finish, finish it fully a game ahead, of ahead of them. Right, of that. and you're one behind. It, now. it would seem because they, they, their conference record is better. They beat you head to head. You know, they're they're pretty much covered. Uh, but it it brings back into play almost a certainty of making the playoffs at ten and seven in the AFC, uh, and, and that 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 was kind of an iffy thing, but with Pittsburgh losing two to teams they had no business losing to on their home field, right? it brings more teams, including the Chargers, and the Chargers are thrilled with the result last night. The Bengals and Bills were thrilled with the result last night. Pittsburgh seems to be collapsing. The Broncos, of course, have the tiebreaker over the Bills head-to-head. They, they do. don't play the Bengals, but the Bengals are one of the few teams that actually have a worse conference record than the Broncos. Two and six to Denver's three and five. So at the moment, you don't worry about them nope. because you'd be ahead of them in any tiebreak situation. Right. So that that bodes well. This was a pretty significant loss for the Steelers, and it opens the door again. The Broncos could essentially bury the Chargers with a win. You could probably just put them oh, to bed. Absolutely. The Chargers would be five, five and eight. Five and eight. You, you're not, forget it. You can only win nine games. Nine and eight will not make the playoffs in the AFC. It might in the NFC. It won't in the AFC. I agree with you. I agree with you. So and I, I think Minnesota is to the NFC what Pittsburgh is to the AFC. Hmm. So when I look at the NFC, uh, I think Green Bay is going to get in. And one of those teams that very quietly has kind of come out of nowhere in recent weeks. Yeah. And I think they'll make the playoffs. And they have the uh, one of the best five coaches in the league. I it's think. the Rams, and he's very underrated. Yes, it's Sean McVay and the L.A. Rams. You bet. And the Rams are are good. And I was reading Randy Mueller's piece, and Randy Mueller's longtime NFL executive who now writes for the Athletic, and his stuff is terrific. And he had a piece on all the six and six teams this week. He broke them. <laughs> a good down. chunk of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, you got. Five in the NFC and three in the AFC. So a quarter of the league is six and six right, right now. And, is it, you know, it's one of those you're neither fish nor foul. Uh, you're, you're not exactly set to storm into the playoffs, but, but you're still in the running. And he made the point about Sean McVay that he has three things that work especially well in NFL 2023. He's young. Players relate to him. He's innovative, and he can teach, and what he can give a player is something the player can actually use. And when I compare that with Sean Payton, uh, Sean Payton is not particularly young. Uh, Innovative, uh, maybe, but we certainly haven't seen it this year, perhaps because Sean Payton doesn't trust Russell Wilson especially in clutch situations, and some of the metrics support Peyton in that regard, we'll talk more about that later, can teach and give a player something he can use to be better. Um, I give him an incomplete on that. It's, it's not clear whether he does that, and it's equally unclear that he doesn't do it. The relationship we think we know the most about is the one between Peyton and Wilson. Right. And I'm not convinced that Sean Peyton has given Russell Wilson anything that he can use to make him better. Russell Wilson is better this year than he was last year 
because basically through three quarters, he's been a good quarterback. He has not lost games, in spite of what Sean Payton may think on one or two occasions. Right. Um, he has not lost games in the first three quarters. His performance on the clutch may be something that Peyton is looking at. Peyton may be thinking, you know what? He'd be exactly what he was last year if I wasn't reining him in during the first three, three and a half quarters of every game. And no matter what the, the truth is, he he might be right. He might be right. He might he be right. Might be right. But I'm just saying that it, 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 Mueller pointed this out, and it you know being young, being innovative, that's <laughs> you know everybody wants. Uh, Right. This was at least the story a couple of years back. Everybody wants, as a new coach, someone who's had coffee with Sean McVay at some yeah. time in his life. Right. Right. That was that. It was especially true uh, a couple of years ago. But, you know, the Rams how, how did that work for a like a Cliff Kingsbury and stuff. I mean, okay, being That's young right. and innovative That's doesn't right. ensure anything. Well, it, it, no, nobody is. Is that arguably the greatest coach of all time is Bill Belichick, and I, I guess with the exception of maybe one or two guys who have been moderately successful, emphasis on the word moderately, his assistants oh, have been disastrous as head coaches. A wreck. I mean, you, you can just keep going. We could spend the rest of the segment talking about the guys off the Belichick coaching so, tree that were at wrecks. Belichick, whatever his manner may be, can teach. And we know McVay can teach. With Sean Payton, there may be a bit of a generation gap now with Peyton in his late 50s, uh, coaching young players who need to overachieve. And I think particularly during their five-game winning streak, the Broncos massively overachieved. Except for maybe Miami. I don't know that they markedly underachieved this year. I mean, I guess losing to the Jets and the Raiders and the Commanders at home might qualify. But but you've made this point. The Broncos, if you look at Every roster in the NFL, 1 through 53, oh. the Broncos are in the lower half. Yes. Somewhere in the lower close. half. Not even close. Of course they are. Somewhere in the lower half. We've talked about it. There are only two players on the team. We talked about it at the trade deadline. There are only two players on the team that anybody even wanted in, in Pat Sertan and Justin Simmons. And they're in the defensive secondary. Right. And they're the only two players that anyone would have traded for. And so the, the overall roster isn't there, You talk, but you talk about the way that some of these teams will finish. And I think it is notable with the Rams, by the way, McVay, that only one team, and that is those Arizona Cardinals, has had a tougher strength of schedule in the NFC. So when you look well, at all those yeah, six and six teams, twice. it's not all created equal. Uh, the Vikings will get reportedly Justin Jefferson back this week when they play the Raiders. That is also a good sign for the Denver yeah, Broncos. except he can't play quarterback. And I, and I think we're seeing some of these quarterback stories uh, kind of, Hit the side road. It's like in baseball, right? You have the rookie going through the for a couple for a couple yeah. weeks, and then the league's got some Joshua film on Dobbs. Him, and then, oh wait, right. we we know why Joshua Dobbs has bounced around the league. Got it. There's a reason for that, right? Uh, you know, and, and you know, they're they're great stories for a while. I'll tell you who deserves credit. He's a guy I've never particularly liked, uh, although he's had stretches in his career, particularly in Jacksonville, in which he was widely celebrated. Gardner Minshew. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, in the top 10 of clutch, Gardner Minshew's led four fourth-quarter game-winning drives I'm, this year. The the Indianapolis Colts 
would be without Gardner Minshew and probably with Anthony Richardson, who got hurt earlier in the year at quarterback, they'd be four and eight, five and seven. Instead, they're seven and five and a playoff. Is game there a better me. backup in the league? I'm not sure there is. I mean, I would argue he's probably but the guy you He's want. not a backup now. Well, not now. He's playing now. And he's playing again if you take and we'll delve into this. Well, later. But I want to get right. out of that. But but As the, the main today, point is he's starting you quarterback take, for a playoff. You're, team. you're familiar with wins above replacement in baseball. The athletic has developed a model, however superior, inferior to the baseball model. I have no idea. But they've developed a model for war that accounts for performances in close games that can tilt one way or the other in the fourth quarter, and they've devised a win above replacement for quarterbacks. And Minshew is the one name that's in the top 10 that actually makes you say, wait a minute, what's he doing there? And then you realize they've won seven games and four came on fourth quarter touchdown winning drives guided by Gardner Minshew, who wasn't just handing the ball off either, although they have two good running backs, one who's healthy and one who's not. Right. But is there a better one-two running punch in the league than Taylor? Not when Moss healthy. healthy. No, right. I don't think but so. But he's been a big part of that. And you've talked about this, and, and I've mentioned it too. Lamar Jackson's stats are very ordinary overall. Mm-hmm. In fact, for the first three quarters of games this year, he's been distinctly below average. Expected point average per play. He's 14th in the okay. league, and the guy he's directly ahead of is Russell Wilson. In the clutch, he's great. So, I mean, and he's behind Minshew. Minshew's eighth and Jackson's ninth. Mahomes, who's not having a great year, but still is not a guy you want to see uh, with no. a game on the line on the field in the last few minutes. No. He's number 10. Purdy and two are in the top 10. You'd expect that. Josh Allen's in the top 10. Jared Goff, well, no kidding. He's in the top 10. Jalen Hurts, no kidding. He's in the top 10. Prescott is number one by a country mile. And that's, to me, that's the best argument for Dak Prescott. Not only has he been very, very good week in and week out, he's been not just good but great in the clutch. Mm -hmm. And go back and think of the games they've lost this year, especially the one in San Francisco. They got blown out. So there's no clutch time for Dak Prescott in the San Francisco game. They got blown out of the stadium. Trevor Lawrence is in there, too. Another guy like Jackson with, below average numbers through three quarters, but who's been pretty good, in fact, very good, exceptional, in the clutch. And he's uh, apparently going to try to go for it this, this Her- weekend. Herbert's, we'll Herbert's number 11. And Russell Wilson, let's say, is somewhere around Joshua Dobbs, Kyler Murray, Taylor Heineke, and brace yourselves, Mac Jones, hmm. for performance in the clutch. And I think that's the source of some of Sean Payton's hesitancy in trusting Russell Wilson and his almost reflexive response after losses to blame Russell Wilson. It, or it, it at least imply reflexive. That, I think it's a good term. That Wilson is somehow at fault. However, tangentially, you might interpret what Payton said after the most recent game, for example that 
he never mentioned Wilson by name. He didn't say there was no shifting on the last play, that players weren't in the position they were supposed to be in at the snap because Russell Wilson screwed up. He didn't explicitly say that, but it kind of implied that when he talks about communication issues, a main communicator is the quarterback, if not the only communicator. Because the plays are getting sent in, and, you know, Peyton is doing that, I, I think, almost without exception. I don't know. I don't know. Did Joe Lombardi call to play all year? There's Probably been no, there's not. been no indication that's no indication of it. Right. And it's almost like Peyton is saying, boy, my schemes are great. The plays I call are great. It's not almost. And that's they, essentially they, what he's saying. players are screwing them out. And, right. And the, his damning of any individual player is focused on Russell Wilson. There's no doubt about that. He's certainly not talking about Cortland Sutton, who has come on so strongly in the last five or six games. He, he's turned from a guy who probably couldn't bring you even a third-round draft pick at the trade deadline into, over the last six weeks, one of the better receivers in the league. And unlike last year, when he had 60 or so catches for, what, about 800 yards, Mm -hmm. a little more than that, had two touchdown receptions all year. All year. Has nine. Yeah. Yeah, he's been the go-to He has more touchdown receptions than Keenan Allen, who's caught more than twice as many passes. As Cortland Sutton Keenan Allen leads the league with 102 catches on the year. We'll talk more about and that. And seven as we go touchdowns yeah. on 102 catches is not bad, but how about 50 catches and nine touchdowns? Almost 20%. Yeah. One fifth of the receptions by Cortland Sutton go for TDs. Pretty good. And he's averaging, uh, compared to Allen, 12.7 yards per catch. Allen at 11 and a half yards per catch um the disappointment clearly has been judy with just 40 receptions but peyton the other day even seemed to absolve judy he sure for did. any responsibility right, for that. uh, that's what well, i was gonna say we missed him three or four times when he was so wide open on the play that he i guess sean pay believes should have been a touchdown to win the broncos the game so uh, we'll see i think you've broken that down very clearly over the course of the season that yes you know people look at that and and we'll we'll talk more about it as the show goes along but um yes you can get open and if you want to look at a watch a youtube of a play and go frame by frame and circle a spot and see here's jerry judy he's open you can find that but that's not the whole picture is he open at the right time where is he on the progression of the play is he open at the time the quarterback needs to go to him and that's the next piece of the puzzle exactly. that I think fans need to consider. And that's not necessarily criticizing Jerry Judy. But if you're going to be a more sophisticated football fan, it's not okay to isolate one thing and say, look, he's open. When was he open? What, what was the, where was the quarterback? What was his position? Was he running for his life? Because, oh, let's say his left tackle didn't block Greenard running completely unchecked. I mean, you know, these things are part of it, too. Sean Payton is sophisticated enough to know that. He is, but... He sounds like a fan anyway in saying not just that he was open a few times, but he was open for touchdowns. Right. So, yes, Sean and Payton, then, and then what he's saying more is knowledgeable about what he's calling than the average fan. The right he, but he's yep. saying the same thing that fans are saying. And, you know, you, you know how I feel on this. And I know how you feel about this. And I I do think it's fair 
to look at Jerry Judy and say, for whatever reason, no rapport is developed in two years with Russell Wilson, except for the final six games of last year when there seemed to be a burgeoning connection between mm-hmm. the two, and it hasn't materialized at all this year. I mean, they played 12 games. He's got 40 catches. That's three and a third catches per game. Really? This is a guy you thought might catch 80, 85 passes the beginning of the year. He's at 40 for the season. So it doesn't matter who's at fault. What matters is there still doesn't seem to be that kind of connection. And as you pointed out, involving Wilson, his receivers, Wilson and the coach, the coach and Wilson, Wilson and the offensive line at times. Sometimes they protect him, sometimes they don't. As Jared Bednar said at the the conclusion of the game last night, with us, it's kind of hit or miss lately. And with the Broncos, I think that's what this year has been. Hit and miss in equal proportion. That's why the record is 6-6. and The Avalanche has had more hits than misses, but last night was another one of those misses. They fall 4-2 to to the Winnipeg Jets. We'll break it down and take a look at what's next for the Avs after the loss with My Life Sports' Arif Dean. We'll do that next. Down the way that things played out when she was kissing him, how I was confused about. Now she should figure it out while I'm sat here singing. Don't win my love. That heart is so. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar. Presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back to the show. The Colorado Avalanches, uh, Jared Bettner mentioned after the game, as Sandy pointed out, a hit and miss of late. They have a miss at home. They lose to the Winnipeg Jets 4-2. Joining us to talk about it and what's next for the Avalanche is Mile High Sports lead hockey writer, Arif Dean. You can follow him on social at RunRightArif. That's A-A-R-I-F. And the host of the Hockey Mountain High podcast for the Avalanche. Arif, thanks for joining us. Uh, Let's just start there. Not even this loss, but uh, as Coach Jared Bednar talked about the team being hit and miss of late. Last five games. What are you seeing in that situation, the, the the one game in which, you know, they had the, the most injuries, they ended up playing well. So, I mean, now you're talking about a team that doesn't seem to be consistent in its performance of late. Is there anything that you can point to? I point to, there's a few things. There's a lot of guys that are, I don't even want to say not playing at their best, but just don't look good right now at all. Um there are others that are not playing at their best, and there there's just a lot of inconsistencies. This is, uh, you know, to, to to get away from all of the positivity of the last couple times I've been on the show, it just feels like there's a lot of inconsistencies. This team has had a lot of turnover over the last couple of years, and you're starting to see just kind of like bits and pieces of a team put together, but not a complete team, and that's kind of the vibe I've been getting for a little while. Uh, the one thing I will say in terms of a positivity on that is I feel like every contender right now has a flaw and their fan base and their local radio shows are all talking about how they need to improve in order to win the Stanley Cup because no team is built 
perfectly like the Avalanche were in 2022 or Tampa Bay in 2020. Um, but right now I'm seeing a team that's just bits and pieces of, of showing flashes of brilliance. But, in the mo- but for the most part, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered and a lot more to be desired. Uh, one of those questions, and maybe it's the easiest one to answer because he'll get it going at some point, uh, Mika Rantanen, who seemed to be scoring at almost a goal-a-game pace through the first, oh, 18 games of the year, right? Yeah. Hasn't scored a goal in eight games. What's going on there? He was minus three last night. And he was minus three last night. Terrible on the power play. I mean, it, it, yeah. and he wasn't alone. Other than McKinnon, they were all bad on the power play, especially on a five and three in the third period. But what what do you think is going on with Rantanen, or is it just one of those slumps that even great goal scorers go through? Do you know how many minutes Miko Rantanen played yesterday? Yeah, I do. 27 17. Mm-hmm. And he Above, was bad for about just everyone. Yeah, he was far and away the highest on the team. Yep. By more than two minutes from the next guy as a forward, which you don't see, which is kind of wild because McKinnon, McKinnon played twenty five oh one. Jonathan Drouin, who looked pretty good to me, played twenty five twenty two. All yeah. three of them played more than the defenseman Taves and McCarr did, and Bowen Byram, who was at twenty. Um, but ultimately, what I'm seeing is Miko is. So Miko's a fiery guy, and, and this is the first time I've seen this in a long, long time since that 2019-20 season, pre-COVID, uh, the regular season aspect of that season. I have not seen Miko in this kind of a rut where he's getting frustrated, and you can visibly yeah. tell he's frustrated. Oh, he shows that. Uninterested. He shows it. Yeah, he shows it. He shows it when he scores 12 goals in 13 games. He shows yeah. it yeah. when he misses an open shot. He's showing it even more now, having not scored in eight games playing 27 minutes, six and a half on the power play and getting one shot on goal. Wow. Just like that's, that is not a Miko wow. Rantanen number. 27 minutes and 23 shifts. He's averaging 111 per shift, again, because of those long power play shifts, because of those right. long end-of-game right. shifts right. last night, and, and has literally nothing to show for it. And yeah. that was the question that I asked Jared yesterday. As part of Miko Rantanen's ice time, you trying to work him out of a slump? And he said, yes, absolutely, the – our best players need to be our best players. And when you have a weapon like Miko Rantanen, putting him on the fourth line with Olofsson and Kivi Ranta isn't going to wake him up. Trotting him out there every other shift and saying, figure it out and get it together is how you're going to get someone like Miko. I've, I've, again, I've not seen anything like this since that 2019-20 season where he had he was less than a point per game. I think he had 40 and 44 or 40 and 42 before the, the COVID pause. Right. Uh, ever since then, including the playoffs in the bubble, he has just been like you. You don't see him enter these kinds of slumps, uh, and it's kind of it's it's fascinating to me that he's there because uh, over you know the the fifty something games beforehand, he had like forty one goals. I want to say when he date back to last season, and now I, he's got I, eight straight games without a goal. He just he doesn't do that. Nope. Um, strange, but probably he'll he'll break out here's a more difficult question and and give mark kisla credit uh in his column today in the denver post uh when asked about uh the recent shift and apparent move of ross colton uh with wood and rantanen last night up to the second line and johansson's apparent demotion uh he's playing now with tatar and kibi ranta 
uh, with Nashushkin out on the third line, and Colton played more than eight minutes more than Johansson did last night. Johansson, who was brought in partly because he's a better faceoff man than anyone the Avalanche had on their roster, yeah. only took six draws last night because he hardly played. So he only took six, won three, lost three. And to Mark's credit, I think he characterized Bednar's answer as a testy one, and that was a fair assessment. It was like, well, I can. there's no law that says I have to play Johansson more than Colton. Well, yeah, okay, there'll be a few games where maybe there's a slight difference, but Johansson was brought in to be your second-line center, and he's been getting 12, 13 minutes a game lately. Yeah. The morning shift on December 5th against the Anaheim Ducks, the morning skate, I should say, for the December 5th game against the Anaheim Ducks, Megan Angley at DNVR asked Jared Bednar about uh, Ross Colton's ice time surpassing Ryan Johansson's yeah. and how he can reconcile it. And he said, I don't have to. This is a direct quote from Jared Bednar. I yeah. don't have to. There's nothing saying that Ryan Johansson needs more ice time than Ross Colton. If Ross Colton's playing well and doing the job that he's doing, and he, then he's earning more ice time. I don't have a set limit for our guys. I'm watching them on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis, month-to-month, and taking all the information I have and then distributing ice time uh, accordingly. Yeah, but that's not an issue. And and for Jared Bednar, is usually very direct. That's a bit of a dodge. And it's a testy response to a perfectly legitimate question. And my sense is it's a testy response because Bednar knows it's a problem. And his team's lost four or five games. And, and well, yeah. Oh, but, I, but also, I, I, he I knows it's a I problem. A they way. don't have a second setter. Period. Bingo. Or exclamation Bingo. mark. They don't. I don't. I don't see it as a dodge. I see it as him saying, "Ryan Johansson's not playing well. I'm not going to play him." That's what I'm seeing. That's what I see. But as. that's not quite what he it, said. Yes. He said Ross that, Colton that is was playing out of this world, so he's earned more ice time. And I'm, okay, no, no, but no. eight minutes. No, no, no. He eight said, minutes. He said, he said he said Ross Colton's playing well, but the start of the of the quote is there is nothing saying that Ryan Johansson needs more ice time than Ross Colton. I that still right there is for a kicker. direct coach. That's a dot. Oh, you guys are still that's at the. Uh, you guys are coming to the same conclusion though. That the, the We're two coming st- to the same conclusion right. is that Ryan Johansson is not playing up to his right. role. He's not a second and as a result, on the team right now. Yeah, they don't and have I a two C. Bingo. And so and I, I'm saying, back to the, listen, Bednar's doing a great coaching job. But yeah. Bednar, Bednar didn't make the trade. And Chris McFarlane did. And I, I, it sounds strange to say about a guy who scored nine goals. Right. And played in every game. And he's been good on faceoffs. But he's a minus player. Uh, Colton's a scrapper, but you know he he's not going to give we, you. We understood 50 he was points. a third line guy. I mean, I think everyone understood he was a third line guy. And so uh, the the question I guess I would have, Eric, from talking to Eric Dean of Miley Sports, uh, the for the Avs, who you know they've been making a lot of trades, and and the, there's not a lot of uh, draft assets or player assets that you could move that aren't going to sort of. A, bring some challenges further down the road and maybe while your championship window is open you live with that and you'll pay the bill later but at the same time is there any sort of solution on the outside that the avalanche could potentially make to find that center there, whether there is or there isn't or like whether i can think of a name off the top of my head they need to find the guy it's not right can Grant. they so be on the of... roster can they be is there someone no, that well, could be coached up can I'm they saying. perform 
or or do you believe they have to go outside the organization? Sandy believes it's I believe, they have to go outside. I believe I believe they have to go out, and I do, okay. I believe they have to go out for two reasons. Number one, uh, a couple weeks ago, or a couple more than a couple weeks ago, maybe about a month, month and a half ago, I asked Jared Bednar when the Avalanche were going through their initial slump, the one where they lost to Seattle, got blown out by Vegas and St. Louis, et cetera. During that slump, I asked him because Ross Colton was playing well at the time. I think he had five goals in six games. I said. Is your lack of center depth stopping you from bringing Ross Colton up from the third-line center to a top-line winger or a second-line winger? Because, as you all remember, Ross Colton made his money playing on the wing in Tampa Bay with guys like Braden Point, Steven Stamkos, uh, Kucherov, and he's playing on the point, scoring with these superstars. I still love the idea and can't wait for the possibility of seeing a line of McKinnon with Colton and Rantanen. McKinnon being the center, Colton and Rantanen on his wings. The problem is you cannot do that because Ryan Johansson isn't giving you second line minutes. If you take Ryan, if you take Ross Colton off of the third line slash now second line, well now your centers are McKinnon, Olafson, and a Johansson you can't trust. So they do have to go outside the organization because you're not only trying to replace what Ryan Johansson is failing to do, you need center depth anyway. Frederick Olofsson was converted from a winger to a center to play on the fourth line because Ben Myers couldn't cut it. You replaced JT Comfer with Ross Colton. You replaced what used to be Kadri's spot with Johansson. Now you want to take the Comfer replacement and elevate him, but you don't have another centerman like Alex Newhook or Tyson Jost, those guys that are kind of fringe middle six guys yeah, that you can yeah, play I mean, as a three. They, they, those two guys aren't missed. I don't think. Yeah, there's 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 a clear hole in terms of center depth on this team, and it's yeah. been like that for a very right. long time since right. the days when they traded, uh, since since the days when they traded Duchesne and O'Reilly, and kind of elev- like you know moved on from that era. There's constantly been center depth issues, but they always the difference is they always had guys in the pipeline. There was a young Tyson Jost, a young JT Comfer, eventually a young Alex Newhook. You signed this kid named Alexander Kerfoot out of Harvard. You kind of had all these options, but now those options have all withered away, obviously, along with the Nazem Kadri that you got for Kerfoot and a defenseman. You don't have any other guys in the system. You have Callum Ritchie, who's a centerman who's in the system, but he's 18 years old. That's not an Alex Newhook. That's not somebody who's ready to step in like Tyson Jost when he was 20. So they need somebody from outside the organization for that reason. I think what makes the Avalanche so unique is if they were healthy, which they're not, and when, but when I mean healthy, I mean legitimately Landeskog included. What made the Avalanche so unique in that 2022 Cup year is a lot of teams built through their centers. Look at the LA Kings with Kopitar, Deneau, and, and Dubois. Those are three magnificent centers, and any one of those guys would be a wonderful second-line center on the Avalanche. And one of them is playing third line on the, on the LA Kings. What makes the Avalanche unique and different is when they won the Stanley Cup, they won it with four play-driving wingers. Nobody has four play-driving wingers. Every team has a guy in their top six who, not that I'm insulting him by any means, was like Milan Hayduk. When Milan Hayduk has given you 30 goals a year, he's valuable. As soon as Hayduk stopped scoring, he was on the fourth line and out of the NHL. Every team has those guys. That's what Washington has in the guy who might break the NHL goal-scoring record. But what the Avalanche had with Rantanen, with Landeskog, with Lekkinen, and with Nachushkin were four play-driving two-way wingers. You just don't see that in the NHL nowadays, to have four players with the high IQ that they had, all playing on the wing in your top six. 
That's why Burakovsky got demoted to the third line. So had the Avalanche had those four center, four, four wingers all healthy, then yeah, you can roll with a McKinnon and a Colton at 1-2. You can roll with a McKinnon and a Comfort like last year at 1-2. The problem is when you had Comfort last year, you didn't have Landeskog the whole year, and then you had all the other injuries. So that's, that's what the issue the Avalanche have right now is. You have guys like Druen and Tatar filling into the top six, but on top of that, your second-line center isn't where it is. In order to have your second-line center be a guy who can be kind of a lower-level player, you need to have those four play-driving wingers. It's what the Chicago Blackhawks did for so many years. They had Kane, they had Hosa, they had Patrick Sharp. They had all of these play-driving wingers in the top six, where behind Jonathan Taves, you inserted a 38-year-old Brad Richards or a 36-year-old Michael Hansus and still won the Stanley Cup. He That's the problem is- with the Avalanche right now. He is Arif Dean. He's the lead writer for Mile High Sports and the host of the Hockey Mountain High podcast. Run right, Arif, A-A-R-I-F, is the social media handle. That's the kind of depth and the kind of opinion to be able to get from Arif's work all the time. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks thanks for the uh, time and the insight. And uh, uh, look, when you and Sandy both come on the same page, all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, now they need to make a trade. I'm going to Google it during the break. Let's see who they can get. Thanks a lot, Arif. This is going to be a fun time between now and the trade deadlines. There's going to be a lot of conversations to have about the moves they can make. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Appreciate it. Thank you. You as well. Thank you, guys. The, the bright side. I, I just Sandy. want to say this mm-hmm. quickly, lest I be misunderstood. Okay. Jared Bednar is doing a fantastic I think he is job too. this year. I, and he did last year. And I would say, if anything, even better than he did during the Stanley Cup year. And I'm talking not just about last year, but this year so far through what amounts to the first third of the season. I think he's done a sensational job. And the point of it, my characterizing the response is testy, is that one, it's uncharacteristic. And two, I think it's revelatory in the sense that it's clear he's dissatisfied. Clear he's dissatisfied. Well, and, and, and it says more about how poorly he thinks Johansson is playing. And I mean, his line mates last night, look, Kimi Ranta is a fourth liner right. who was up on a third line because they have an injury. Right. Uh, or an illness. Illness, right. Nishushka. Tatar played 13-47. Johansson's on the power play occasionally. Tatar isn't doing much on special teams that I can see. I mean, maybe at times in the second power play unit. He get he gets far more minutes five on five than his line Mike Johansson gets last night. It's more about Johansson playing badly. Well, let's let's dig into that a little bit because I think some of the things that you and Eric were talking about, the equivalent would be you guys sort of had a two on one and you were skating at the exact same speed and missed a little bit of the passes because I think you're getting to the same destination. I'm going to try to bridge the gap because I think both of you are right, and I think the Avalanche have to deal with it. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports.
Good pick by Danny Bailey on a Friday for a couple reasons. One, Journey gets a bad rap because someone goes, there's no South Detroit. Well, there's no neighborhood South Detroit, but of course there's a South Detroit because there has to be a South part of Detroit. So one, I mean, I give him that. Two, it is Friday, right? If, if you're going to be one of those, you know, maybe, maybe you like to go sing. Science. Science. They're showing that if you want to go do karaoke, this is the song to go to for a couple reasons. First, one, everyone knows it and will probably sing along with you. So if you're bad, it's okay because someone will, you'll get covered by the crowd. But two, because Steve Perry sings at such a high register, most men and most women can hit it by just changing it either an octave or two. So it's the easiest pop song, scientifically, for the most range of humans to sing. So there you go. And if you go out there and you have a, uh, you just bring the house down, you can tell them I sent you. You're welcome. So that's what I try to bring to the show here. The Colorado Avalanche, after having uh, Eric Dean on from Miley Sports just a little bit ago, uh, Sandy and, and Eric were talking a little bit about what Jared Bednar is doing coaching. I agree that what Jared Bednar is doing in, in coaching this year has been really, really good. But I also liked what Eric said when he talked about the fact that uh, the Avalanche have had during this sort of window, a lot of players that have been in Jared Bednar's system and understand how the abs work. Now, because of guys that then exceed, succeed, they get bigger contracts somewhere else, or you have to make trades to bring in moves. Uh, that has been, this has been a season in which the Avalanche have had the most turnover while being contenders under Jared Bednar. Full half of their forward lines came in at the beginning of the season is different. Six of the 12, new guys. So I think Eric's right when he points out that in a, in a testy answer, well, there's no rule on what I have to play for minutes. Yep. The argument that, yeah, look, these guys are new. Show me what your job is supposed to no, be. I, I, and, and I think I you're right because the point is also, I, I, I'm agreeing. I think Bednar is basically saying, somebody take this. This job is open. This second line center job is open. I want somebody to come take it now, whether that person's on the roster or not is in question, but I think that's what Bednar's looking for. I think as a coach, you're speaking to different audiences, and sometimes a question gets asked, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a great question, but it's asked at the right time, uh, maybe with the right tone, and it provokes an answer that's uncharacteristic, but all the, because it's uncharacteristic, it's revealing. Um, Jared Bednar has said nothing this year to date to indicate that he's terribly thrilled with his team. We know he loves certain individuals, but Jared Bednar does not operate a star system. That's not how the Avalanche won in 21-22. And you know what? And give credit on top of that. I'm, I'm going to back they you had up. Stars, because we've talked about this, too. How they give won. credit to ownership. Because with the Avalanche and with the Nuggets, with when you go down the roster, and you go ahead and you can Google whatever everyone makes, when you go down the rosters of the Avalanche and the Nuggets, you can look at the play people who are making the most and the people who are making the least and go down that list and probably say, yeah, that's about right. It's about right. Yeah, And very few teams do that, and I don't think it's a coincidence in salary cap leagues that the Avalanche and the Nuggets have won titles in and, the last couple and, of seasons. And I want to say this. The, the only part of Mark Kisler's column today that I didn't 
particularly agree with was that his definition of the general manager's job is based strictly on making trades. Chris McFarland signed Bo Byram to a below the, the salary cap level. management. I would argue is even Not more true. important, yeah. more important yes. than trades. Yes, and McF- that, that's McFarland's deal. Correct. Right. He's a capologist. Mm-hmm. That's that's how, yeah, that's how he, he got the role. He's, he's got. an analytics guy. He's a capologist. Understands all that. Um, trades are part of the job. Important part of the job. But the the salary has to part be of part of those too. trades too. Paying people what they should make and not a penny more is difficult uh, because you're tempted to make exceptions. And it, people keep talking about Kadri as if he has always been and still is the player he was in 21-22. He is not. He was that way he once. He was never going to in be. His whole career. clearly a career year. He's a good player, but good players score 55, 60 points, basically. Over a course of an 82-game season, that's what they do. They're not point-of-game guys. Point-of-game guys are great players. They're not good players. They're great players. And they do it year after year. Uh, He had one year where he was a point-of-game guy, a little more than a point-of-game guy, and that was 21-22. And when he couldn't play in the playoffs, he was great when he did. He came back from an injury that, had it happened during the regular season, would have had him out months, and he came back in a matter of weeks, and he was great. But it would have thrown their salary cap situation completely out of whack in a hard cap sport. Mm -hmm. No mid-level exceptions or junk like that. If they had paid him $7 million or more per year, which Calgary ended up doing because Calgary could afford it. To me, Still, I know inflation exists with contracts in sports, but Nazem Kadri at 55, 60 points a year, making 7.2 a year, that's maybe a little steep. And again, I'm looking at the standings. Calgary is not an automatic playoff qualifier at the moment. Their record is 11, 12, and 3. Uh, they fired a coach, a veteran coach, has won multiple Stanley Cups in Sutter during the offseason because he was, in their view, too tough on the players. And the players were perhaps in revolt against him and some wanted to leave. So they made a coaching change, but they're the same team this year that they were last year. They're just not good enough. And they're top-heavy, too. And the fear that people have with the Avalanche is that they become too top-heavy, and even more so when you factor in injuries or illness, uh, a long-term injury like the one Lekkonen is coming back from, uh, hopefully within the next few weeks, around the first of the year sometime in January. Um, short-term illness absence for Ishushkin. And, of course, Landis Cog, I, I don't even mention. No. You not because should. he's unimportant, but and because they haven't had him for a year and a half. Right. And and and, so, and and we need to stop talking about the idea that he might be just around the corner. That he's on the long-term injured reserve because they don't expect him to play this season. Right. Period. Right. Nathan McKinnon is the highest-paid player in hockey this As year. As he should. $12.6 million cap hit. The highest-paid player in the entire league. Miko Rantanen is, is not uh, poorly compensated. 
at nine. Right. Dale McCarr at nine. That yeah. they have high paid players. Right. Now, of and course, they're, they, and they're signed long term. Of term. course, they are high paid players. We're talking about three of the maybe top ten players in the yes. entire NHL. Well, I don't think there's any doubt. But it does mean that you're going to have to make moves with discounts in mind. Uh, Johansson and Colton have a, a cap hit of four million, but Miles Wood was two point five. You grabbed a Tatar because he was one point five. Right. Uh, you right on the defense. There's bigger money paid out because it's been earned. Uh, the Avalanche grabbed Josh Manson. He makes. 4.5, but part of the reason he was available was because he had a contract that his old team wanted to move on from in Anaheim. Uh, Devon Taves makes 4.1. Next year, that jumps to over 7. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, and speaking of uncharacteristic, the mistake Taves made last night at the end of the first period it is something that a high school kid wouldn't do. And again, everybody makes mistakes, but... That was particularly uncharacteristic of Taves. The Avalanche had three men back. There was one four-checker, and he tried to bang it off the boards for reasons I can't understand, especially a player of that caliber. And that's your hockey game right there. That's the difference that they scored with two seconds to go in the first period and built a lead, and the Avalanche could never quite catch up. It is, of course, a must-win game for the Denver Broncos against the L.A. Chargers this weekend. We'll have a chance to break that down a little bit with Fox 31's Taylor Kilgore, who joins us next.